Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Uh, so, just I think we we have to address a couple of things. Thank you guys for being here instead of watching HBO right now. Uh, I appreciate that that you took your national holiday to join us. Uh, and also, uh, in case you guys haven't been on social media at all for the last, I don't know, seven or eight hours, uh, I think it's also kind of cool to note that while we're discussing uh, two different authors with books about different versions of the future, uh, the other most famous time traveler is now going to be played by a woman. Yeah! The doctor is female! So, uh, with that, going kind of on the, the long trajectory, tradition of Doctor Who, kind of talking about re-evolution re and reimagining and, and all of that, uh, wanted to open up with just a question of uh, the, the trilogy, because for both of you guys, uh, I know the, the second book for Liz, your uh, trilogy came out in uh, earlier this year, the third one comes out early next year, and of course we're celebrating the release for the United Continuums. Um, what was it like writing the third book in the trilogy and uh, kind of were there trilogy tropes that you were trying to avoid or that you were trying to embrace and how did you go about doing that? That is an excellent question. Thank you, Zach. I want to just thank Liz and Zach for being here with me today. It actually means the world and everyone for coming out to support these little books that could. Um, this has been an epic journey um, for me and for my characters. Um, what I would say is that um, trilogies are hard. Series are hard. And I don't know that I fully appreciated that until I had to write one myself, and Liz is nodding because I think we've, we've been talking about that ourselves, amongst ourselves, um, because I was warned by a mutual friend. She was like, third books are really hard. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm having so much fun writing Return of the Continuums, the second book. How could this be hard? Oh, it was hard um, for a few reasons. I mean, one is that you're on deadline often, which yeah. means you're writing a very big story on a tight time frame. Um, another for me was that at that point I had readers who I did not want to disappoint. Um, as a reader myself, um, there's nothing worse than falling in love with a series and then having it not go so well as you continue through the books. And I very badly didn't want to fall into that because... Um, Oh my gosh, that was like my greatest fear was having a bad third book. I was like, ah, so I'm really proud um, of the way I pulled it off. Um, and I really looked to The Lord of the Rings, actually. I was like, how did he do it? Yeah. Like, how, you know, because they're so good and Return of the King is so good. Um, like, how did he live up to the promise of fellowship? Like, how could I look at the structure and look at what he did? Um, you know, I also looked at a few other authors that I really admired. Um, J.K. Rowling, most notably. I mean, boy, did she deliver 
that book seven, boy, did she come on with incredible pressure, incredible. Um, but I think what's hard about third books is you, you have all the stuff you've set up and you want to pay it all off and you're servicing all these plot lines and all these characters and trying to build them all. And in my case, I wrote multiple points of view for anyone who's read them will know. Um, and they kind of multiply. Right. So here we are with Game of Thrones coming out and, you know, I really empathize with George R.R. I see why he's a little bit lost in the weeds, potentially, um, because I have, like, many Game of Thrones. His characters are exponential. So I just really tried to um, think about how could I pay it off, how could I still make it exciting, how could I service it thematically, and I just wanted the ending to feel feel earned. So, um, but it was a struggle. I always say, I'm like, this book almost killed me. <laughs> but, like, I survived, and I'm very proud of it. So, um, yeah, and I'm curious to see what Liz says, because I know she just turned in the draft for her third one so you know that is an accomplishment well thanks for having me today um yeah I just turned in the third revision well revised novel on Thursday so that was exciting to be done with that and um I was really happy to end it and make it good hopefully and um what was the question? The tropes? Yeah. How do you avoid them? Or I don't know. Them. Yeah, I mean, I think... And what are they? I think people do expect some tropes, and if you just throw them out entirely, then readers are like, what's happening? Yeah. So I think you kind of have to find a balance between doing the tropes and doing something original, so that's kind of what I tried to do by looking at, like, what other time travel books have done and movies and go from there and try to do something different also. But the third book was really hard. I think... I don't know if it was harder than the second book. Both of them were really hard, and since mine is time travel like I had to keep doing new and interesting things with time travel but stick with the rules that I had made in book one and I was like why did I do this to myself I made these rules and now I can't break them and yeah. I really hate my past self sometimes <laughs> which is also a time travel thing right you hate yeah. your past and future self and <laughs> maybe you meet them at some point when you time travel <laughs> maybe a little <laughs> um, yeah but it was tough um it did break my brain. The second one also broke my brain, and the third one really broke my brain and required lots of revisions. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, and so there's been just a lot of, of trilogies over the years, going back to not only Lord of the Rings, but uh, the original Star Wars trilogy mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the Matrix movies, and, and you can just go on and on and on with, with trilogies. Was there a pressure for either of you to go beyond the trilogy or uh, to leave it kind of open-ended to add on a fourth book or beyond that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I always thought when I started building this out um, and building out the world, it's a really, for anyone who's looked at them, it's a very big universe that I was constructing. And um, I so I quickly realized that it really couldn't be a standalone, which has its own challenges, and that it had to be three because of the breadth and scope of and the expanse of the universe. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I always wanted to leave some door open to see what could evolve at the end. I mean, I wanted to write it as a trilogy that really stood alone, but I wanted to leave a little bit of a door open for you to wonder maybe what could be in the next phase of this whole project. Um, I've also long thought there could be pretty cool prequels in there, you know, to see kind of before the doom and to see Professor DeVinis and the recruiting of the carriers could be super rad. Um, and I am working a little bit on some like offshoot, a little novella just for my own fun that's a big, 
space, second continuum, the cryptia. So, um, yeah, so I think that there's a lot of room in the universe um, to expand. But I'm also really excited to have a little bit of a breather and to write something that's a little bit different. It's kind of like a palate cleanser. Like, let's go, and I'm still writing big YA sci-fi because it's what I love, love, love to do, and I'm obsessed with my new idea. Um, But it's kind of nice to build out something different um, and to have a little bit of a a move away because these books were intense. I was like, whoa, and they are dystopian. My new book's a little more space operatic. And I will say, like, writing these, they were written before the election. Um, But since the election, they've taken on a little bit of a different meaning for me. And I think a lot of us dystopian writers have been struggling a little bit um, with the fact that some of the scenarios we imagine are starting to seem a little too possible. Um, Because we were like, we're writing Distant Future, and this is a warning, and don't do this. And now, um, for those who have read it, I had a lot of choices on what the doom was and what the backstory was, and I chose very specifically. And now I start to see things set in motion where I'm like, oh, whoa. Oh, wow, are we going to have another arms race? Oh, great. I love that. Um, So, um, yeah, so I think it's kind of nice to write something for me that's a little bit less bleak at the moment and a little more hopeful, although there is hope always in these books. That was something that I don't like about a lot of dystopia, which is where it's so downtrodden and it's so depressing. Like, I wanted to write something that had a theme of hope, which is something I love about Star Wars, that I always loved about Star Wars, because Star Wars is dystopian, right? Like, the Empire has taken over. Like, they're fighting back. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that there is a door open and I'd be really interested to see what happens with the film and the film version that we're putting together right now um, because I think that could open a lot of possibilities and doors and we just attached a screenwriter, I can't say who, but he is working on building out the pitch and I'm really interested to see what his vision for the for the films are and how he shifts or what he am- amplifies or I don't know, I'm just kind of excited I'm like, this is fun I'm going to have fun with this, y'all <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Um, So mine, I actually wrote the first one as a standalone, and I didn't plan on writing three. And then when they bought it, they bought it as two books. So they were like, okay, can you write the second book so that it can stand as the ending, but also be open for a third book? And I was like, well, that's really difficult. So each one of my books has this totally separate mystery in it, but then each one also builds on like the previous mystery and what happened in the previous books. So that was partly why it broke my brain, because I wanted each one to stand alone, but also continue. Um, so yeah, it was difficult, because I wrote one on its own, and then I wrote the second one, like, maybe there'll be another one, and then they bought the third one, so I had to buy it that way. So then I was like, I am done. <laughs> I was like, no more time travel. It basically killed me. <laughs> Never again time travel. It's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> So many rules. Paradoxes. Oh, (laughs) mind-bending. Yeah, so I'm done and I'm moving on. (laughs) And was the the pressure to... Do the uh, to leak kind of leave it open. That came from the publisher, mm-hmm. not from yeah, your agent, not from okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about was this something that once you knew it was more than one book, uh, was it the publisher's idea to make it a trilogy? Was it yours? Who no, was? it was mine. And the thing was, I went to my agent, haha, who signed me on a totally different book, which was like an adult 
fiction book that uh, went on submission but did not sell. I always say that. Um, it's in my drawer. Um, but yeah, a different book. And then I was like, ha, here's a sprawling science fiction epic that has to be three books. Go have fun with that. Um, so um, what I would say is that it can be a little harder to sell because you are asking a publisher to commit to a trilogy. So that's taking a chance on a new author, not only a new author, but a new author who says, hey, three books. Um, and also, um, in terms of, I had this real fear, because I know authors who have sold trilogies or series and had books canceled, and my greatest fear was that I wouldn't be able to finish my story. It just would have devastated me. So it was super, super important that I find a publisher who was on board and committed to not only doing them, but also releasing all three. Um, so that was a priority that came from me and then via my agent to my publisher. So we got very lucky that um, the publisher that came on board just got it, was on board, was with it, has been incredibly supportive. Um, so I didn't have to grapple with some of the things that I know other people have grappled with. Um, yeah, so I did it myself and I was like, I know I'm setting this up and this is going to make it a little bit harder. Um, but to me it was worth it to tell the story that I really wanted to tell and that was in my heart. So um, yeah, so it came from us, not the publisher, but I mean, I, I do know that my publisher seems very happy with them, um, and I could work with them again, but like I said, I don't know if it'll be on this or something else. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see where all of this goes, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I revisit this world. Uh, so uh, there's a, a bunch of different questions that I kind of had off of that, but uh, the something that you said earlier about how how the politics kind of changed how you see your your stories and how what they mean to you um, beyond just just politics like how do you think you're you're a different person now and uh, the like the scene the literary community the readership how has that changed for you from when you started writing it through the end of the the trilogy. Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of an incredible roller coaster. I mean, I just kind of say, ride the ride wave, ride the wave, stay calm, like, see what happens. Um, for me, uh, it's always been just so important to reach readers. I love anyone. There's there's a reader in the house tonight. Hi, Gus, who just made my night by showing up today. Um, yeah, and especially young readers, which is one of the, I think, the great pleasures and great joys of writing um, for younger readers. Um, they just, they're not jaded. They're, they love with their whole hearts. Um, they're willing to go on a journey. And for me, I grew up in a really small town in the middle of nowhere, kind of, and um, without much, no internet. And books were my escape. They were immersive. They took me out of, like, small town southern Virginia. Um, you know, and so for me, when I try to write, I'm always seeking that experience of immersion, of trans transporting beyond barriers, um, of escaping, you know, and I love, I want to write books that you can't put down. Like, I, I love when I have a book that I'm carrying around everywhere and I'm up till three or four in the morning because I can't, I don't want to leave. Um, so for me, it's gone from being this very personal journey of writing these books to having readers read them and respond. They just published in Russia and they're actually quite popular there right now. Um, I get all these bookstagrams now from Russian readers with reviews and like, it's wild. Like, you know, I've, I've been to Russia, but only a little bit. And like, uh, you know, 
know, um, but they're relating and identifying and loving the story. So I love hearing like who are readers' favorite characters, um, what did the world mean to them. Um, the funny thing with the third book is what I've gotten more than I ever thought was, um, please don't kill my favorite character. Did you kill my favorite character? And I was like, wow, people are morbid. I won't give any spoilers, but I had a, I have a, a reader is a big fan. He's 16 and he's in Paris, Tennessee, and he was like, you made me cry three times. <laughs> three times in this book. And so, um, you know, it's kind of funny. You get this, like, interaction with readers, but then you also, like, you don't want to disappoint them. Like, you want to write stories that really live for them. Um, but I love it. I love having a readership. I love everyone. Thanks to everyone who came and read my books. Like, it's rad because you feel half crazy, I think, when you're writing on your own. And you're like, I'm obsessed with these characters and I'm the only one in the world who knows who they are. So, like, I'm half crazy because this is imaginary. And, like, what if it never comes out? Like, what if it's only me thinking about imaginary people? Isn't that kind of the definition of insanity? I don't know. And kind of talking to them. So, anyways, it's really nice to feel not crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that helps that you are all here and I am not alone. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I've also gotten the, like, why did you kill off this character about the first one? And I'm always like, it's time travel. You never know. They might come back. <laughs> um, that's the fun part about book three. You can kind of kill off everyone and then be like, oh, wait, time travel. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. People hate it, but they also love it when you kill off characters. It keeps people on their toes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Political stuff? Were you asking Probably about that? Like, you know, over the the years since mine you definitely changed. It, yeah. Uh, how have you changed? What do you think of the changes in the literary scene? Oh, yeah. I definitely changed my third one based on the election. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I added neo Nazis to it as the terrorist group in it because I knew there was going to be some sort of terrorist group, and so now my main character punches one in the third book. Yeah. <laughs> and my editor was like, "This is the best thing ever." <laughs> I was like, yeah. Not just being great bad guys. Right? Because I was like, I need some sort of bad guys in the third book. Right? <laughs> yeah. So that definitely changed in the third one. And I think it became a little bit more political in that sense. But the plot of it still stayed the same. It was just like some of the details changed. Yeah, I found, I was watching a lot of news when I was revising United Continuums and I found, I had CNN kind of on repeat in the background, this is during the election, and I found some of the things Trump was saying seeping into like Vinick <laughs> and some of my bad characters, like I just started to see some parallels between some of my antagonists um, and some of the things that were being said in the political landscape, so that was really interesting um, just to have it kind of seep in, in a weird way. Um, yeah, and I think in terms of like changing, I mean, we were told science fiction is dead, remember? Yeah, so when, when we, Liz and I first had our books going out, it was in a very post-Hunger Games wave, where all the publishers were like, science fiction is dead, but now it's back, is what I hear? Yeah, totally. I mean, the market is ridiculous and crazy. I'm like, science fiction's never dead. Like, It's like when they go, horror is dead. Horror movies are dead. No, never. They might shift in agenda and focus and type. But yeah, so, but apparently we're back. Like, 1984 is a bestseller. The Handmaid's Tale is a bestseller. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of what, what that kind of rhetoric means is that what we thought of as science fiction, what we thought of as horror movies are dead because all of a sudden you've, you've got stories that are coming out from new voices, from, from new perspectives. And both of you guys have 
uh, really dynamic, really complicated characters that span ethnicities, that uh, span ages, and uh, I mean, so what was it like for, for both of you? Uh, I know in the, the uh, afterwards, the comments that you guys talked about, you know, mm. getting it right. Mm -hmm. uh, and for, for that, especially now in the last, you know, seven, eight months, uh, did you guys have to really work harder to get it more, uh, more accurate to make sure that you were representing things or had you guys kind of gotten the hang of it by book three to make sure that your, your characters who are beyond what you know from first-hand experience uh, are like? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting and a very important question um, that's very close to my heart, which is that, and, and I, have a, I have some writing students in the house. Where are my writers? Where are my students? Woohoo! Um, I always encourage, and I just was at Ten House for a week, which is mega diverse, and it, it's, pro it's one of the um, best uh, workshops. Anthony DeWar, who wrote All the Light We Cannot See, was teaching. Kelly Link is who I worked with. She's a finalist for the Pulitzer from last year. It's heavy duty, and the writers are incredible, but so diverse. Um, and it was just such a joy to be there. Um, I think for me, it it's just science fiction has always been able to break ground in this arena. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that the first black actress in a TV show was on Star Trek, right? And we kind of get this way where we can, because my books are far in the future, so they're not tied to the cultural um, things that we have now. But I think it's irresponsible to not try to write outside your experience, which means men writing women, writing other cultures. Just, you know, you want to be careful to make sure to beta read, to have input where needed, to make sure you're not making mistakes on uh, important things or that you correct your blind spots. Um, but yeah, no, when I see those billboards for, sorry, I'm going to call it Hunger Games and like Divergent and it's all white people and I'm like, so the future is white. There Was there an ethnic cleansing between now and the future? Like, when did that happen? Um, I don't think it's representative, and I think representation matters. Um, I think Wonder Woman really shows us that right now. I don't know. I cried six times out of joy in the beginning, which I didn't. I didn't expect to just burst into tears when Robin Wright was like kicking ass. Sorry, on the beach. I was like, oh my god, it's amazing. And um, I think a lot of women really felt that, you know. And it's a superhero movie. Like what? Um, so for me, I'm like, well, get ready. Get ready, everyone. We have a, a main character who is not a superhero in my books, Myra, but she is she is mixed race. She is an engineer and a scientist. Are we ready? That is her superpower, right? Like, I think we're ready for this. I mean, I think seeing hidden figures for me um, sort of reinforce that and reading the book. Um, we don't see women depicted enough in the sciences um, and depicted and um, for their intelligence and for their abilities. Amen. And so, yeah, hidden figures was like kind of a thing where I was like, yes, I want it. I'm doing like, the young adult science fiction version of this. That's Myra. Um, so, yeah, and actually, when my film producer called and we first talked, I said, you know, I'm cool changing structure. I'm cool doing a ton of stuff. The thing I will fight you to the mat on is diverse casting. I must, must have diverse casting. And um, he just said, um, if it's good enough for Star Wars, it's good enough for us. <laughs> so I was like, thank you. So, there may or may not be someone here who might be involved. So, yeah, you heard that. Um, yeah, so I think it's really important and I think um, you know as I go forward I always try to look at how I can reverse tropes how I can flip like I have a, um, a soldier in my next book is one of the main characters and I'm it, it, it's it's fe she's female she is mixed race she is part Japanese hi Michelle <laughs> yeah may I thought of you a little um, she's awesome and you know I was like we see a lot of these there's a lot of military science
science fiction in the world, and a lot of it, you know, is, is typically male character. And so for me, I was like, well, can I flip it? Can I invert it? I mean, it's not, it doesn't seem that radical to sit here and talk about it, but even for me, it's like you have to challenge your own perceptions sometimes. Um, and I also try to invert love stories. So typically, my girls are really strong, and they're just kind of like, oh, that guy's kind of cool, but I really just need to save the world. And meanwhile, the guy is like, I can't live without her. I can't live without her. Um, I'm so depressed. Like, I need her. And so, because I, I think we've grown up seeing kind of the opposite a lot, right? Where, you know, hello, Twilight. Sorry, I do like Twilight, but <laughs> Bella, like Team Edward, Team Jacob, like, you know, the obsessiveness. And for me, I just kind of am like, you know, they're like, they have a job to do. Like, the guys are cool, but really, I got to do some work here. So, um, so those are other ways, I guess, I try to challenge things in my own way. Um, and I am looking to expand. Um, I would like to deal with, um, in my next books and military themes, with people who aren't able-bodied a little bit, um, which we see a lot in soldiers who come back, right? Um, I think the, the lesson of our recent wars is because we have good body armor, it's people lose limbs and have traumatic, traumatic brain injury. So that's something I'm kind of looking at and looking at how um, maybe that could factor in a little bit. Um, I'm looking at PTSD and trauma from war as being a backdrop of a theme which I think is topical and relevant because we've had a lot of wars. Like there's a lot of things that I'm trying to see about how can I represent this? How can I at least put this in? And so we have power because we reach young readers, you know, and when I was a kid, and I'll end here, um, the kids' books were very limited what we had to read, um, and there wasn't a lot of representation. Um, my best friend from growing up also writes YA. She writes LBGTQ books. She's a Carnegie Mel Carnegie Medal finalist. She wrote The Lies We Tell Ourselves about school desegregation in Virginia. Um, she writes about gender, queer, and gay characters. And, you know, we didn't have that when we were in high school to see ourselves in. You know, we were very much alone. Um, that's why we were obsessed with Anne Rice, because the gay community, guess what? They really embraced Anne Rice. Um, but that's what we had, you know. And now you can go to the YA section, and you can kind of find something you'll identify with in some way. And that spans. And we need more. We need more POCs. We need more people writing. But, um, yeah, it's great. Great. It's exciting. Why is it exciting right now? Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad that literature and TV and movies are all kind of going toward the more diverse cast because it's just not realistic to have everybody white or everybody straight. And um, yeah, I definitely tried to do that in my book because it's set in LA in modern times. And like I've lived my entire life in LA and my friends were not all white and not all straight. And it just doesn't make sense to have an entire white cast. Like it's not authentic. And I think for teenagers, especially you really want it to be authentic because they need to be able to see something they relate to in there. Um, so I did focus on that. And I did have readers. Uh, my main character is Mexican-American, so I had Mexican-American readers uh, make sure that it was okay. And then in the second book, she sort of has PTSD from the first one, sort of, and has, like, panic attacks. So I had somebody who knew about that stuff to read those scenes to make sure they were, like, authentic. Because I think it does is very important. Yeah, that's why I tell my students, beta readers, mm -hmm. beta readers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, something from just my perspective, I, I do a lot of book promotion and publicity stuff, and something that I've learned over the, the time doing that is that the authors who are in the market right now want more diverse, mm -hmm. not only characters, but more diverse voices from the oh, authors. Yeah. Yeah, the readers want it, and it's nice to see that the publishers are, are catching on and are giving us more of a, a breadth that's more representative of the Los Angeles that we know. Mm -hmm. uh, that I can, I can find a character 
who's telling a story in LA that I'm like, oh yeah, that's I, I've been to that taco truck. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, so talking about uh, writing for younger readers, uh, with the, the third books coming out, you've got readers who are a little bit older than they were when they first found it, and you've got this really interesting challenge to keep the older readers engaged but also be open and accessible to younger readers. How did you guys uh, tackle that? Yeah, um, the big the big way we did it was um, for in my case was uh, a pretty accelerated release schedule. Um, you know, we did it pretty fast. I'm really grateful I had started writing the second book before I signed my book deal because um, it would have maybe not been possible. Um, we are also in a world, and Liz knows a bit about this because she writes romance also, and romance authors really know about the accelerated release schedule, and a lot of them are self-published now, and so you're competing not only um, with traditionally published books, but also with self-published books in this market. And the self-published authors tend to put material out relatively quickly. Traditional publishers tend to be fairly slow. So we kind of went with a more indie kind of publishing schedule. And that was part of it, because for me, I, I, I hated waiting. Waiting is the worst when you're a kid, between movies, between comic books, between um, books to come out. And so I really wanted to keep the readers I had engaged and not have them have to wait forever because they, they age up and they read up. Like, teenagers really do read up. Um, and so that was kind of one of the ways we addressed it. My books are also considered fairly crossover, which means um, that they appeal to adults as well. They're a little harder science fiction. I was like, guys, I wrote constitutional amendments and they're published. Like, I was like, nobody's going to let me get away with this in a YA novel. Um, but I did. Um, and I think also the multiple points of view, third person. I did have like publishers who um, rejected me who were, they were just like, we're confused. Some of these are adults. I was like, yeah, my kids don't live in a vacuum. There's adults that live in the world with them and, um, you know, interact with them. Yeah, and I think the readers can handle reading some adults, <laughs> you know. Um, but so for that reason, they're considered a little bit more crossover. So I have a lot of kids. I actually have a lot of like 10 to 12 year old boys tend to love these, which means they're great readers because, and then I have a lot of adult readers that um, really enjoy them. So I think the fun thing, YA, I think over half the readers in YA are adults now. I mean, I'm one of them. I read YA. I love it. Um, I, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool landscape. I love being in this area. So that's sort of how I addressed it, I guess, was fast release schedule, you know, get the books out there, um, and yeah, write something that appeals to, to um, both age ranges. <laughs> Yeah, I always wrote mine sort of as like upper YA, so like my character's like 17 and then she turns 18, and so I guess the books kind of age up a little bit too, so in the second book they're in college, and then the third one, and again, they're also in college, so they like keep getting a little bit older, and I guess that's kind of how, but I guess I don't really think about that that much when I write, I just sort of write what works for the characters, and I don't worry too much about like how the readers will age up with it, I just figure that teens are smart enough that they'll kind of figure it out, you know? Yeah, you guys are smart. <laughs> yeah. um, Alright, so totally switching gears. Uh, while you guys were like locked in the writer's cage and just, you know, the, the slot in the door that someone just pushes food through to keep you on schedule. Fight to the death. Uh, were, were there emails that you got from your readers? Were there uh, messages that you guys got that kind of gave you fuel? Like, great great stories that you guys have of, of uh, your readers coming through and giving you that, that extra push. Yeah, I mean, um, I always tell people, don't be afraid to write to your favorite 
author, you know, because we have good days. Who has good writing days? And who has days where they feel like they're the worst writer in the world? Yeah. So on those days, just getting a message, on it can be social media or an email, sometimes can really lift you up on a day that you were really struggling with the page and struggling with the words or even struggling with you know, having to get out there and do events and, like, be a public person when, you know, writing can be very introverted. So, um, yeah, no, there are definitely, even this week, because publication is always nerve-wracking, and I just want to say every picture, every photo, every post that I got this week just buoyed me in a way, and I cannot express the gratitude I have for that. And some of you in this room fall into the category, and everyone who came here today, I mean, it it just melts my heart. So, yeah, I want to say, yeah, it, it makes the hugest difference. So don't ever be afraid to reach out when you love something that you read um, because, you know, it can really change somebody's day or make them right. Um, so, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I totally save those and, like, <laughs> you can go back and look at them sometimes and you're like, I'm the worst writer ever. Oh, wait, look, these people liked it. <laughs> I think the two best ones I ever got, I got one from a teen who was like 11 I was like I don't know that you should be reading my books yet but (laughs) like whatever it works for them and she was in foster care and the characters of my book are also in foster care and she really liked that I had portrayed it I used to do work with foster care kids so I knew a lot about it and did lots of research on it and she thought that I had done a good job with it and was happy that like she kind of saw some things that she had gone through in there and it gave her a lot of hopes. So that was really exciting. And then the other one I got was for my adult romances. And they, my adult romances are like totally different. They're light and fluffy. <laughs> like my sci-fi is like dark and murdery. <laughs> but I get more emails from those, from the romances. And I think it's because like you said, adults are more willing to reach out to their favorite author than teens and they're who are a little bit more shy. And my favorite one of those was one who was in the hospital for some surgery. She was like, the only thing that's made me happy is reading your books because they're like light and fluffy in an escape and I was like perfect <laughs> that was the plan <laughs> all right um, so uh, just have a sort of couple more questions then we'll we'll open it up to you guys uh, but the, the obvious ones are like what's next uh, you, you kind of hinted we know you said uh, the movie's kind of in that theoretical maybe stage but you've attached a screenwriter you've got a producer you're working on the pitch uh, you've talked about maybe doing a novella in the same universe and you've got your new project but uh, what else do you guys do you have in the works what's sort of bang, bouncing around in your brain that you think maybe is going to be your next project if you want to talk about it I kind of think multitasking is my middle name right now I'm like half crazy, but so excited and inspired to be writing right now. Um, I do have a lot of different projects. Um, I am excited to try to move forward on the film version, and we are working behind the scenes right now to get that ready to go, and I'm very optimistic and excited um, about that next stage. Uh, I am writing my new YA book, my sci-fi, which I'm in love with, and I just want to stay in that, like, in love phase, where I keep it really kind of to myself and just kind of just write for fun, and I'm so glad I got back to that joyous place. Um, There's a short story I wrote a little while ago. The last time I went to Tin House, I worked on it with Victor Laval, who I actually would like to congratulate because he just won the Shirley Jackson Award for his novella, Ballad of Black Tom. That was announced today. Everyone should read The Ballad of Black Tom. It's his Lovecraft retelling. It's brilliant. Anyway, so I worked on this with Victor and then kind of got lost in the continuum world, Um, but I am working on it right now. It's kind of a Philip K. Dick style sci-fi story 
story. And I'm working with a very big screenwriter right now to adapt it for her to direct because guess what? We need more women directing. We really do. And she's brilliant. She's um she's writing a Pixar movie right now, but we're gonna get together end of August. Um so I have that kind of in the works and then I'm writing a comedy script with a friend for an actor that I love and I can't say too many details, but wow is writing comedy fun. Like you get to like sketch some scenes and write some jokes and she's a close friend so it's just been a joy to kind of move around a few different projects um, and then my teaching I teach a lot and I love teaching um, the writing pad has been really great to me and my students are phenomenal 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 writers um, so I can't wait to be at some of their book signings one day yeah. but uh, yeah so that's kind of where I am and then just kind of promoting this but yeah I mean the big thing is is the next book for me so yeah Yeah, I just turned it in the third one, so that one comes out in March. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out what to write next. Um, I have a bunch of ideas, and it's always kind of like, which one do you do? I don't know if you have that problem also, but for me, it's like I have 20 ideas that I want to write this second. And so it's not like, how do I get ideas? It's like, how do I pick an idea and make that the one that I spend the next, you know, three years of my life working on? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes difficult, yeah. So I have one fantasy idea I want to do. I have one that's like a sci-fi fantasy mashup. So I'm like, which one? Sounds fun. <laughs> I know, they're awesome. Yeah. All right, and uh, last question. This is just kind of something that I've, I've uh, learned to enjoy asking authors. What were you reading while you were writing this? Oh, gosh. I've read a lot of stuff. Sometimes I find it hard um, to read the same genre I'm writing because it can get a little overwhelming. Um, but... I would say it, music is something I listen to more while I'm writing. Um, so I listen to a lot of like electronic music. Like lately, I've been listening to the Twin Peaks playlist on Spotify because it's kind of weird and like perfect. Um, but um, the books I'm most obsessed with I've read lately are definitely um, N.K. Jameson's The Fifth Season. I know Zach knows I'm totally fangirling over this book. I won the Hugo Award last year. It's freaking brilliant. Hi, Finley. <laughs> it's freaking brilliant. Um, it's a fantasy book unlike anything you've read. The third one's coming out this summer. And then um, The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Basically anything by him. He's he's absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been reading. Um, oh, uh, Roxane Gay's Hunger. Mind-blowingly good. If nobody's read that, that's memoir. So I tend to read kind of widely and broadly. Um, there is some YA and some other fantasy. Uh, Victoria Schwab. I love her books. Darker Shade of Magic. Amazing. This Savage Song. Huh? Danny Shapiro. Oh, yeah. Danny Shapiro's new memoir, Hourglass. So I kind of just skip around. I just try to always have good sentences in my ears, which sounds really cheesy, but, like, inspiring. I always say, like, you play tennis, right? You play someone worse than you. Guess what? You play really bad. You play someone way better than you. You play better. Now, you may not be N.K. Jameson good, because, oh, my God. But, like, you know, maybe you'll up your game. Um, so I'm excited to read The Obelisk Gate next, which is the second book in her series. Um, yeah, it's freaking amazing. Yeah, those are on my shelf waiting to be read. Uh, what about you? What did you read during or what are you reading now? Yeah, I'm kind of like you were during. I try and read something totally different. So when I'm writing YA, I try to read more like adult stuff. And then when I read, when I write adult, I read more YA stuff. So when I was reading this one, I writing this one, I think... I wrote, I've read more like romance stuff. So like one of the best ones I read was The Hating Game, if everyone's read that one. It's so good. It's like 
chick lit, but it's like the best romance I've read in ages. <laughs> but like people who don't like romance still like this one, so you should check it out. Um, and what else? What am I reading now? I don't know. I'm in a break between reading. Uh, let's see. What was one of the best ones I read this year? Caraval, if you've read that by Stephanie Garber. She was one of my mentees, and she's amazing. And that book is awesome. So definitely read that one. Oh, I did this thing called Pitch Wars where I would mentor other writers, and she was one of them. And yeah, I'm pretty happy because every single one that I mentored got a book deal. Yeah, and then I read a couple others that I blurbed recently. Let's see, I did read Dare Mighty Things. It comes out this October, and it's about a female. Um, She's a teen also, but she's a scientist, basically, and she goes, she's Indian, and she goes to, um, like, this NASA space camp kind of thing, and then they discover that there's, like, it's like a competition, so, like, only one of them can win this spot on the spaceship at the end. That was really good. So if you want more, like, teen scientists with a diverse cast, Dare Mighty Things was really good. And I'm reading one now that was also one of my mentees. It's called Gunslinger Girl. It comes out in January, and it is awesome. It's, like, futuristic Western, like, Westworld, basically, and the girl is like a sharpshooter in like this future um, Western kind of world. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, on that, I'm going to plug a webcomic for anyone who's into that called Thunderbirds, which, if you aren't already aware of it, is a sort of fairy tale set in the Old West with a young black woman as the protagonist. Uh, and it's just amazing. Uh, and also, I mean, this is another one that's a total throwback, but apparently a lot of people haven't heard of it uh, nowadays. Patricia C. Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. It's feminist fantasy, it's fun, it's amazing, uh, and it's really funny. And they should be pretty easy to find. Uh, I think those came out in like the early 90s. And yeah, so it, like, there's been feminist fantasy out for a long time. Oh, it just yeah. wasn't getting a lot of yeah. promotion. Yeah. And now, yeah. yeah, so it's it's kind of fun to, to see that yeah. that uh, we're getting more of those voices and they're getting louder. Mm -hmm. um, so, all right, any questions from uh, the audience? Do you guys have anything that you want to talk about? Don't be shy. There's always that awkward right. moment where like, right. okay, we have the first one. Okay, so when you're writing, depending on the book, do you create the world what a fabulous world building question yes yes I I do world I'm a big world builder kind of like my pal Romina Russell who I know she's even like crazier than me with her binders and her really um thorough I'm not that thorough but uh it, she's OCD almost um, but her world building is great um, for me I always start with world because for me my characters tend to be a product of the world and so they wouldn't exist somewhere else in a different world so I always kind of have to start with that but my characters come pretty quickly once I start kicking it around um, a little bit and it kind of becomes clear to me pretty quickly who they need to be um, and then um, I do write very character driven or at least I really try to um, that has the bells and the whistles but it's like really about the characters in the heart. Um, I learned that a little bit from James Cameron. I love him. Um, so yeah, but I always start with world and start kind of usually with a seed of an idea that builds into a big, big, big world. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. I think
think it kind of depends on the book. Um, I usually start with an idea, like some kind of like hook that interests me and that I think would be an awesome book. And then I usually kind of try and develop that and think, well, who would be the character for this? What world would it take place in? And so they kind of all develop at the same time. But I think more for for like the sci-fi fantasy one I'm doing right now, it's kind of like a mashup. So that one I did develop the world first because it had such a complex world. But then the fantasy one I did, I had more of the character first. So it just kind of depends, I think, on the idea and where you go from there. And there's no right or wrong answer, really. Mm. All right. Uh, when you began your uh, trilogy, did you set out to write the trilogy, or did you write first thought first, and then uh, you decided, well, there's more to this? Yeah, I just... Um, I knew it needed to be three books. I was like, uh, when I finally cracked what I thought was the big idea of it, it started with an underwater idea. Like, it was the BP oil spill, and, like, I was really horrified, and I'm obsessed with James Cameron's The Abyss, and I'm obsessed with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and I'm obsessed with the idea that we know more about outer space than our own deep oceans, and stuff lives down there, and it's crazy, and there are monsters. Um, so I kind of was like, I don't, haven't seen a lot of this. I'd love to write something with this. And then when I cracked the big idea of the books that there were multiple colonies and this whole very rich history about where they came from I kind of realized wow I'm going to need to tell this in multiple POVs and I'm going to need to tell it in multiple books so I did write the first one first with some ideas about what was going to happen and I did save some reveals and things for I, I call it playing the long game it's kind of George R. R. Martin has done that I mean there are things for me that are paying off in Game of Thrones where I'm like wow that was on like the first page of the first Game of Thrones book like how did he do that like, how did he know that would come to fruition? So, in books he has not even published yet, because it's in the show. Um, so, yeah, I kind of um, knew that. And then once I had finished the, the first book, I sat down and wrote out what I thought two and three would be um, in terms of the, the main story points. And I have to say, they didn't really deviate. There are things that surprised me in the writing of them, but they did stay, stay fairly true to what I thought would be. So, yeah, I kind of had this one as, like, the big... Um, the new book I'm working on, though, I'm, I'm thinking of as one right now. But we'll see. Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that I wrote mine as a standalone, but I did have sort of an idea for what the sequel would be. And then when I sent that to my publisher, they were like, well, could you actually make this maybe book three? So I had to come up with an entirely new book two. And But the book three is pretty much spot on to what I had originally pitched them. I just had to figure out a way to like put another book in between, which was not that easy. <laughs> um, I have a question. With the sort of work you guys are doing now, what is the difference between young adult and adult science fiction? Yeah, well, and also kind of adding into that, there's that weird kind of genre of new adult. Oh, I can talk about that. Coming up what? It's going to be a legit. Yeah. What is it? It's, so new adult is... Uh, okay, so New adult is college age. So it's pretty much YA, but with all the stuff that you're not allowed to put in YA. Um, and it started out as romance, and it's now becoming more. Fifty Shades of Grey is what started New Adult. So it used to be, okay, so for, the category is fairly rigid. So Young Adult is a category. It's not a genre, right? Because the only thing that specifies it is the age range. So traditionally, it's, um, your characters need to be basically teens. Um, and the voice of it really is kind of teen. Um, you could have teen characters and it skews middle grade, which is the category below. But the tone of Young Adult is, um, it's not, gonna, you're not going to probably have,
have quite as much hardcore stuff as you might in an adult book, although a lot of young adult books are pushing the envelope, but they're pushing it from a teen perspective. Um, the main characters in young adult are going to be teenagers. That's kind of the biggest defining trait. New adult, like, there used to be this dead zone in publishing that was college age. Like you've had a book that took place with college age kids. It was this dead zone and nobody would really publish it. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey, which was Twilight fan fiction. New adult. Well, I know Fifty Shades kind of was the big blow up where that came out, and she's in college and that, um, and so it started out more romancy. Um, I guess with a lot of sex in it, and um, but then it sort of branched out. I mean, my agent has told me that the sales or the publishers are really cold on New Adult right now. So I don't really, and I I don't write it, so I don't really know all the details of all of that. Um, I know YA is still growing, and I know adult fiction is down. So I mean, like that's interesting. Like the readership for YA, they keep saying it's going to go down, and it's not. Yay for us! <laughs> is it vocabulary? No, I don't think so. Um, I think maybe in why there's a little bit less like of the hardcore science. Um, like I had more science in my first book, and my editor told me to take a lot of it out because <laughs> she was like, "This is too complicated. Like nobody cares." <laughs> I was like, "All right, move it along then." Um, and I so my romance novels are technically new adult because they're in college, but then my why also goes into college. So it's like, where's the line? But I do think that. New adult is kind of dead. Yeah. Um, like, I now market my romances as just straight adult. And there's kind of like a gray line there, and it's, I don't know, I think you can do either one. But I will say in my adult books, I there's more sex and more swearing, and that's pretty much it. But then my YA still has sex and swearing, so <laughs> it's not like there's no huge difference, I think. It's a little tonal, I think. Yeah, it's definitely the tone also. The tone. All right, one last question, uh, if there's one. There's one over there. Okay. Um, I was curious how you um, work research into your workflow. Like, I have a hard time with that. Either, like, I avoid it and just have fun, or I get into it and I get bogged down. Mm -hmm. uh, the research beast. Oh, yeah, and especially with the big world building and the science. I mean, I think Liz touched on it a little bit, which is that, I mean, who's read Neil Stevenson? Like, he writes 100 pages on an asteroid. Um, it doesn't really work for me, but he does have a rabid fan base, so who am I to say? Um, you probably won't find that in any of my books. Um, but I did just go to the Launchpad Astronomy Workshop for Writers, where they taught us, like, a year's worth of astronomy in a week, so we can use it in our books. It was rad. Every writer I know should try to go. It's so great. And um, there was a romance person there, too. They were YA people. Um, but I think a lot of it is just you do the research and kind of, I try not to go too far down the rabbit hole because it's very easy to do that. But I try to build my world, do what research I need to kind of understand it. And I will say Launchpad did help for the space stuff that I'm doing. It helped me conceptualize the size and scope of the galaxy. Think about warp drives a little bit, that kind of fun stuff. And then, yeah, and then I just try to like get it all in my head. But then I really focus on my characters and just telling a story about people um, you know and I think that kind of if you use that as a focus and then the other thing I always say is like you know does your reader need to know all of this and probably no and then what they need to know you figure out when they need to know it and some things you need to seed in but the world kind of exists to support the characters and the story um, and you as the author are going to know a lot of things that your readers will never know um, you know so that's sort of my 
my approach, and you can always do an info dump pass on your book, because I always say the easiest edit you'll ever make, and Liz touched on it, is delete. <laughs> delete this. <laughs> so it makes it really easy to take it out if it, if it is too heavy-handed. But yeah, character. Focus on your characters. Yeah, when I'm planning a book, I usually do a lot of research up front, but I research just until I feel like I can write the book. Like, I have enough info that I can go from there, and then if I need something in the middle, I stop and research it, or I put a note to myself to go back and research it when I'm done drafting. Kind of depends, like, how important it is to the plot at the moment, but... Otherwise, I get too bogged down in research, and I'll just, like, spend all this time creating a new world and researching, and I won't actually write, which is, like, what I did all during my 20s, basically. Like, I just created all these worlds for these books, and I never finished the books. So now I focus really hard on finishing the first draft, because I think that is the hardest. All right. Thank you guys very much. Uh, thank you to Skylight for hosting us. Uh, thank you to Liz, and congratulations yes, to Jen. Yes. Uh, the books... If you don't already have your... You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.